Well, welcome everybody. Hug your mom today. Better yet, apologize to her for whatever you've done in your life or are going to do into the future. Uh, but uh, happy Mother's Day. Thanks for coming out and spending part of it with us and celebrating together. And I uh, want to uh, look forward to talking to you. We're going to talk uh, to moms and about parenting this weekend. Look forward to that conversation. Uh, before we jump into it, just want a quick reminder that next weekend... Uh, we're going to start a new series called Married with Benefits, and uh, so it's a short little series. We've done a bunch of dating. It's a match. We kind of uh, spent a month or so there, and then want to talk with moms, celebrate moms this weekend, and then next weekend we're going to jump into that for a couple weeks, so uh, something you may want to be a part of. Um, excited to, uh, to be together on Mother's Day. I was thinking about <coughs> parenting all week, because I was thinking about Mother's Day, and I was thinking about kind of the profound effect that uh, our parents have on us. So when you think about life and you think about way, the ways that God designed us, there, there's three relationships that are really God-ordained. Your, your mom, your dad, and then a parent's relationship with their children. And all those are, are just God-ordained from the start because we have no choice in that, right? We have no choice in who our mom is, who our dad is, and parents have no choice in who they're children are, all other relationships, marriage, friends, work, roommates, all that kind of stuff, we, we have the ability to, to choose those things. But the parent relationship, the child relationship is something that's ordained by God. And that's why those relationships are so powerful in our lives. Uh, they, they affect us deeply. They, they change us deeply. And they do that for, for good and bad, right? So if you have a very positive relationship with your mom and your dad, then uh, you, you pick up all this wonderful stuff from that, all this security and self-confidence and good views of God and all that kind of stuff. And then the, if you flip the coin, if you have a negative relationship with your mom and dad, uh, you pick up all this stuff from that, right? You have this, these wounds and these missing pieces of your life that you need and all that kind of stuff because all of that is designed by God to be imported into our lives through our mom and dad. And by the way, that plays out with a, a parent's relationship with children. That's why having children is one of the most meaningful, powerful, joy-filled things uh, in your life. And then when your children aren't doing well, when they're going through pain, or if you've gone through the tragedy of losing a child, or your child is rebelling or something like that, it's one of the deepest wounds and one of the most gut-riching things you go through life. And it's because these are all like these primary relationships that, that God created and God designed, right? That is so true that when we talk about the good sides of our parents and kids and the bad sides, we'll always bring God into the equation because those relationships are not primarily biological. They're not even primarily emotional. They're primarily spiritual. So if you have a great mom or a great dad, <clears throat> then you'll, you'll look back at that and you'll say, man, my, my mom was always there. She loved us. She sacrificed for us. She did her best to protect us. I am so grateful for my mom, I thank God for my mom. Now, if you flip it, I lost my mom, or I don't know my mom, or she's just crazy, right? That kind of thing. Then you will look, and you'll actually say, I don't know why God had me go through that, right? They're so deep that we understand that. Uh, same thing with our dad, same thing with our kids. You know, we thank God for our kids, meaningful. We will, we love to worship God with our babies in our arms kind of a thing. And then when our kids go 
off the rails, it affects our, God, why are you letting this happen, right? Because you're stuck with your kids. You are. You're stuck. I've tried. It's illegal to eBay them. I checked, right? So you're, you're, right? So because that relationship drives us so much. Now, the question is then why did God create us that way? Like what, what was his purpose and his intention to, to doing that? And there's, there's a bunch of answers to that, a bunch of conversation probably is the way to talk about that. But one of the ways that we can talk about it, one of the reasons is because God made those relationships so deep and so primary, one of the things he's doing through that is he causes us to form our view of God through our parents. So we know this. We know there's all kinds of studies out there, and, and it's true of moms and dads. In fact, dads, uh, one of our big responsibilities is uh, our children's primary view of the Heavenly Father is formed through the relationship with their dad. So if you have a great dad, it reinforces your view of, of God. If you have a, a, a difficult relationship with your dad, it's something you have to work against. And then the same thing is true with moms. God, our children interpret God through that spiritual relationship of motherhood. So if you've got a great relationship with your mom, then all, the, the, all that part of God, the compassion, the security, the, the stability, the kind of the mooring point, God never leaves me or forsakes me, all of that makes sense to us because, all, all, primarily because of our relationship with our mom and dad. And that is either working for us in our interaction with God or it's working against us in our action with God, but it's what happens. So when you look and say, why did God create it that way? Well, because no, there's not another relationship on the planet that can have that level of depth. Our relationship with our mom and our dad is so primary that when it's there, it has these deep effects, good and bad. And when it's absent, it leaves this, this big hole in our life. It can't be replaced. And God would look and say, okay, mom, dad, this is why I did this. Because down to the spiritual level of a child, they're going to understand me through you. So the primary purpose of being a mom, and we're going we're gonna to use moms for all the illustrations because it's Mother's Day. So I'm not picking on you. It's your day. I'm just trying to be a part of it, right? So the primary purpose of being a mom is to transfer the heart and the mind of God to your children. So your children will understand God's truth. They'll understand God's purpose. They'll understand God's love. They'll understand God's parameters. They will do that. You are one of the primary transfers of the heart and the mind of God to them. So God, when he wants to interact with your child, is going to usually do that through you. So your kid goes through a painful time. God sees their heart. He loves their heart. He wants to respond to their heart. And so what does he do? He gives them their mother, and they'll experience the comfort and the, the gentleness and the grace of God through their mom. Same thing with discipline. The Bible says God disciplines those he loves. So when there's a parameter set, why is it there? How do I respond to it? What happens if I cross it? What happens if I fail? God cares about all that deeply, but he's going to express that through their mother and father. I'm going to receive God's discipline often the way that I receive my mom or my dad's Discipline. So the primary role of mothering is to explain and make God tangible to your children. And that's a wonderful privilege and an awesome responsibility. And when I said all that, especially to you moms who have younger kids, it feels absolutely overwhelming and you're a little bit sick to your stomach right now. Because you're like, Jeff, 
I'm just glad my kids have pants on today, <laughs> right? I forgot breakfast, but thankfully there was some Fruit Loops in the minivan, and so they kind of ate that on the way over, right? So when, when I say something like that, it's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I'm trying to get diapers changed and bottles made and, like, figure out algebra again, and now I'm supposed to be, like, this theologian and, like, somehow perfectly disciple my children, and if I don't do it well, I screw them up and they're not going to follow Jesus. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day, right? <laughs> so when I say all that, it feels, it feels absolutely overwhelming. Now, it's true, and I get the overwhelming part, and what I want to do this weekend is I want to show you how this works and what it looks like. And I think by the time we're done with our conversation, it won't feel that way. I want to kind of give you a, a vision. I want you to reach for this and grab for it because it's so, so important. But what you're going to find is we have a helper. We have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. And as we pursue Christ in our lives and allow Him to do in our lives what He wants to do, this is how we wind up translating this over to our kids, okay? So I want to help you out with this a little bit by describing it, all right? So grab your Bibles. I want to go to one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, Philippians chapter 2. I love this passage. I wind up here all the time because it's a great place to get a view of Jesus. And so if we're thinking, man, I, I want to be like Christ, right? I want to be Jesus to my kids, Jesus to my roommate, Jesus to the people. This is not just a mothering passage. It's a Christ-following passage, I want to be Jesus in all these ways. Well, what was Jesus like? And then how might this show up in mothering? So in those Bibles that, uh, that you uh, have under the chairs or are handed out, it's page 819 in those Bibles. Open them up. Philippians chapter 2, this is what it says, verse 1. Therefore, if anyone has encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but also each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, be made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what I want us to do this weekend is to look through this passage. Let's see Jesus. Let's draw principles and and uh, truth out of his life, and then through this, what we're going to understand, I want to describe what it looks like as God is downloading his heart and his mind through you to your kids, okay, and to show you how that works, how you can position your life, and kind of cooperate with God in that process, okay, so here's the first thing, I put this in your notes, if you want to use the app or your program, it's all in there, when we're partnering with God, for him to express his heart and his mind through us to our children, that's going to look like surrendered strength. It's going to look like surrendered strength. Look at verses 3 and 4 here, Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourself, 
not looking to your own interests, but also each of you to the interest of others. It's gonna look like surrendered strength. It's fascinating. One of the biggest realizations that children come to about their mothers is that their mothers were somebody and something before they were their mothers. It's a shocking revelation, right? Wait a minute. There's more to you than you being my mom? I know. It's just mind-boggling, is it? You can do more things in your life than you had a life before you were my mom? I thought for sure I was the center of your world, right? But you you did other, you went to high school, mom, right? You went to college, mom. Mom, you, you, you work in a workplace. Wait a minute, mom. When you leave the house, you're somebody's boss. You're somebody else's friend because you're just my mom and I want to know where dinner is, right? Mom, I need a ride. I got a game tonight. Wait a minute. There's other people that like listen to you. This is amazing, right? Because I don't listen to you. People seek your counsel, right? It's a shocking revelation to most children that their mom is somebody beside. There's people in your life that don't just call you mom, right? And it's this fascinating illustration of surrendered strength. It blows my mind when God looks at Christ followers and he says, listen, guys, don't do things out of selfish ambition. Don't do things out of vain conceit or a self-centeredness that draws attention to yourself. Instead, with humility, and I'll add, like Jesus, put others' interest above yourself. And boy, if there's ever an illustration of this, it's motherhood, right? There's all kinds of things that a a mom is. There's all kinds of dreams that she has. There's all kinds of abilities that she can act on. There's all kinds of intellect in her mind. And yet when you think about what a mom does, oftentimes, when the kids are little, right, it's, it's, I call it butts and bottles, right? Just changing diapers and making sure there's feeding. There's the house. There's the laundry. Most moms work. So there's this I'm working, and then I come home, and I don't get to kick my feet up all night. I'm now engaging. The kids get older, right? They're in high school now. I'm trying to help with homework, but I can't remember how to do algebra either. Thank God for Google, right? And so there's all this stuff. Every mom, like, why does mom's car smell a little bit funny? It's because the children, they're stinky, right? But there's this, I could do whatever I wanted to do, but what I've decided to do is I've decided to serve, I've decided to prioritize. I've decided, sometimes we've decided to delay our dreams so that our kids can chase theirs. I've decided to slow my advance so my kids can advance. I've decided that maybe I'm gonna step out of the workplace, I'm gonna be at home. Maybe I'm gonna be in the workplace, I'm gonna come home and I'm gonna kinda live an exhausted life. There's a, there's a reason why most mothers don't remember their 30s, right? It's like just haze because they're working and they're sacrificing and it's a surrendered strength. Now listen, moms, here it is, ready? How does God download his heart and mind through you to your kids? Because your kids are watching that. So they have someone in their life and mom and and maybe dad and there's other people, right? This is grandma, grandpa, friends, godly people. But they have a mom in their life And what they're seeing is they're seeing Christ-likeness played out. They're seeing the servant Jesus. They're seeing the humble 
Jesus. They're seeing Jesus setting aside, putting our interest above his own. And they're watching it. And then as they grow and they experience that and they start to come to appreciation of that, all of a sudden, ready? All of a sudden, God starts to make sense. Oh, God looks a lot like my mom. God looks a lot like my dad. God looks like this person who coulda, shoulda, might have, didn't, because they were always giving themselves to me and putting my interest above their own. See how that works? So God is downloading his heart and his mind through you to your kids. And you don't, ha- you don't have to go get like a, a PhD in theology and doctrine. But as you play out this Christ-like principle, you're simply following Christ. Not vain conceit, not selfish ambition, others' people's above my own. You're following Christ, being Christ. That math is being done. Now listen, if any of you had an unhealthy relationship with your mom and she was all about her and, she w- and all of a sudden that piece is missing, that's a wound in your life. If you grow up with a loving mom who loved Christ and loved you and that piece is plugged in, all of a sudden that's a stabilizing piece of your life. See how it works? And God, literally God makes sense as you follow Christ and love the way that you're called to love everyone but in the context of parenting your children. So God downloading his heart and his mind through you to your kids looks like your surrendered strength. It looks like you following Christ and putting others' interests above your own. It also looks like this. Here's the next descriptor I saw was this one. God downloading his heart and mind through you to your kids looks like authority used in humility. It looks like authority used in humility. Look at verse 6, talking about Jesus. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Jesus, who is God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. So Jesus, who is equaled with God, right? Did not consider equality with God something that he would use to his own advantage. Instead, he did something different. He took on the nature of a servant, and he was found in appearance as a man, right? He humbled himself. He put skin on. He came as a human being. And we would look and say, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is fully God. He never quit being God, but he became fully human. He took on the appearance as a man. Now, here's the question for you. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus take on the, the appearance as a man? Why did he step into humanity? Why did he do that? What was, the, what was the big goal of that happening? Well, Jesus stepped out of heaven and put skin on and lived in the human experience for a bunch of reasons, but one of the primary ones is this, so that you and I could understand him. He was using his authority. He didn't look and say, I'm equal with God. I don't have to do this, right? Or I'll be like a human for like a day or two, but then I'm out. They smell funny, right? He didn't do that. He said, no, no, no. I don't consider my equality with God something to be used to my own advantage. I'm going to serve. I'm going to lay aside my rights, which is what humility is. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to use my authority with 
humility. The parts of Christ that we best understand as human beings are the human elements of his existence. So it's Christ and his humility that makes sense to us. So when we think about God's love and we think about how he showed us the full extent of his love through his suffering and his death, that he was abandoned, that he was abused, that he was, he was betrayed, that he suffered an injustice, that he was beaten, that he was mocked, that he was crucified. Those are all the human parts of God. That makes sense to us. And so suddenly we look and say, well, Jesus took on the appearance as a man so that we could understand him. I understand that part. I understand that feeling of being betrayed. I, I can, I can kind of think about what it would be, be like to be beaten, to be crucified, to die. I can, I can understand. When Jesus was sad when his friend Lazarus died, I can relate to that. But when Jesus felt like, like he was left all alone when the disciples wouldn't stay up and pray with him, I can relate to that. It's the parts of his humanity that cause us to, the parts of his deity are the mysterious parts of us. It's harder for us to get, like God being eternal, it's hard for us to get our head around. See how that works? Jesus' authority was delivered with humility, and that's what teaches us the great lessons of God's love and God's walk in our relationship with God. And, And this is Mothering 101. Moms have an authority. I like to say that the great parental privilege is power. The great parental privilege is power. I have power over my children. I like to remind them of that a lot. Like, I, I, own, I own everything, including you. I paid for you. Easy monthly payments, right? right? I bought you from the hospital. Like, I own it all, right? The great parental privilege is power, but when that power is used with humility, it teaches, it guides, it corrects, it shapes, and it forms. When that power is used with selfish ambition, I control my children, I'm shouting them down, I'm making them serve me, I have no desire to serve them. When that power is used with selfish ambition, it harms, it scars, it creates wounds, right? So in motherhood and parenting, authority used with humility is what causes us to understand what God is like. I was thinking about times that my mom did this. My mom was a very creative person, and she was creative in the way that she parented us. I remember when I was little, did you guys go through a running away phase in childhood? I went through a running away phase, and I, I'm, the yo- I'm the youngest of five children, and so by the time I like, was in my running away phase, like mom knew it all, like I didn't scare her at all, and so I remember being at home with her because I'm the baby, so my siblings were out at school, and I had mom to myself for quite a bit. So we got along well, but then we would like fight with each other, right? And I was just this little kid. And so I went through the running away phase, and she'd tell me to do something, and I would stomp out. And I remember what I would do. I would stomp out onto our front porch. We had like this concrete front porch. And I would stop, and the screen door would close behind me, and I would stop for dramatic effect. I just wanted it to sink in to her what was about to happen. Like I was going to abs- I was going to leave her life, and she was going to regret it. And then what I would do is I would go back to my treehouse, house. 
and I would figure out how I was going to live in the jungle by myself like Tarzan because he didn't have a mom and a dad. He was raised by apes. And so if he could do it, I could do it. And that was my big plan, right? And so I would do that. And I, I did this several times. And so one day uh, we got in a fight about something. I forget what it was. I was supposed to take a nap or clean up my room or something like that. And so I decided I was going to teach her another lesson. So I walked out the door and I stood on the stoop and the door shut behind me and I put my hands on my hips and I waited with dramatic effect for her. I just wanted to sink in what was about to happen. And in that moment, I heard something I never heard before. I heard a click. <laughs> and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I don't remember a click happening. Like, this is out of the plan. And I turned around and Phyllis, old Phyllis, she'd locked the door behind me. <laughs> and she was just standing there looking at me. And I thought, this is not going well at all, right? And so there were three doors in my house. There was a the front door, the back door, and the basement door. And Phyllis, my mom had broken her back when she was a, a young woman. And so uh, certain times, like, it would tighten up. She had trouble walking. So she wasn't, like, super agile or anything like that. And so I thought, well, I'll just, I'll teach her a real lesson. I'll run around the front of the house to the basement door. I'll go in the basement door. I will come up the steps triumphal. And I will teach her that she cannot pull these things on me. So I took off running. And I took off running, and I went down the front stairs, around the front walk, I went to the basement door, and right as I was reaching for the basement door, I heard click. <laughs> and I thought, how did Phyllis do that, right? Like, she, she somehow teleported through the floor. And so I thought, I better get to the back door, right? So I went, took off running, I jumped the fence, I ran up the hill of the backyard, and that old girl, like a cheetah, had made it up the steps and click, right? And she locked me out of the house, right? Using her authority. She's teaching me a lesson about how to do that. I remember later on when I was a teenager, uh, I had that, I used to have long hair when I was a teenager. It was halfway down my back, and then the middle was uh, shaved out, and then I had long bangs. Be quiet, it was cool in 1987. And, and I came home, and my, my mom said, hey, you got to get a haircut. I was like, I don't want a haircut. She's like, well, go get a haircut. I said, I'm not getting a haircut. She's like, you need to go get a haircut. I'm like, Phyllis, I have told you what's happening here. I'm not getting a haircut. And she goes, fine. She goes, don't get a haircut. She goes, I'll just cut it off while you're sleeping. I got in my car and went and got a haircut. Because Phyllis would have done it. See, I knew that. She used her authority. She used it with wisdom. She was not a controlling person. She w didn't shout us down. She always had this way of taking us to where we needed to be, right? And she would apply her authority with humility. She would shape us, mold us, right? Now, God wants to use you as a conduit for his heart and his mind to your kids. What does that look like? That looks like you being godly. It looks like you engaging, you being a servant, you having a backbone but also you teaching lessons. And when I look back and I think about how my mom and my dad, how they interacted with me, I realize I understand God. God's not out to get me. God, did, God didn't blow up at every little thing. Does God have the right to hit you with a lightning bolt? Sure he does. Has he done it lately? No. Why? Because he teaches us. He, help, he wants us to learn. He's guiding us. He's shaping us. There are parameters, and he's not going to back off of those because he's a perfect God, and he demands that we follow and know him. But the process of learning that, whether he's allowing us to experience the consequences of our sin, whether he's protecting us from that, however it is, it's, 
authority with humility. And I realize, I look back, I'm like, my mom, my dad, they taught me that stuff. That, that, that's why I learned to, to trust God, to fear God, but not be petrified or think that he's out to get me. Because I respected my mom. I was a little bit afraid of my mom, but I knew ultimately she wasn't going to leave me or forsake me even as she went through these lessons. I love James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And my mom loved Jesus, and so she was pursuing heavenly wisdom. She wasn't pursuing control. She wasn't pursuing vengeance. She was pursuing heavenly wisdom, and she would take that authority, use it with humility, and apply it to us. She shaped us. She parented us, and God downloaded his mind and his heart through her to us. Here's the next thing. God doing that often looks like someone who loves with a long-term perspective loves with a long-term perspective. Let me, let me show you this. We'll dig out a little bit, right? So uh, God, verse 6, very nature of God, quality of God, something to take advantage of, made himself nothing, took the very nature of a servant, found human likeness. He humbled himself, verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and then look at the second part of it, by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. By he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now, let me ask you this question. Who was Christ obeying when he went to the cross? Isn't that interesting what the scripture says? He humbled himself. He became obedient. It's really fascinating that word's there. So he, didn't, he humbled himself and he went to the cross. He humbled himself and he willingly, he humbled himself and became obedient, even death on the cross. Who was he obeying? Well, he was obeying his father. Right? He was obeying his heavenly father. It's his father who said, you need to go to the cross. It's the heavenly father who, in essence, kind of came up with this whole plan to bring salvation to, to you and me. And Jesus often said, I do, I'm doing the will of my father. Right? Dad asked me to do this. Now, this is what I think about. I think about when, when Christ is on the cross. So this is the son of God. Right? He, he already has humbled himself. He already became a, a, a man. Right? So this is the son of God. And he is being mocked. He's being rejected. He's being beaten. He's being crucified, falsely accused. He's, he's dying on the cross. His lungs are filling with fluid. He's suffocating on the cross. Right? And here's the father who asked him to do all that. And Christ is being obedient to him. And I often think about the perspective of the father. The, the restraint, the willpower, that how as a dad do you not intervene? A, as a parent, how do, you, how do you not do so? How do you let this play out? And one of, the, one of the conclusions that you have to come to is that the father viewed all that was happening with his child through a long-term lens. So the father was not just seeing the pain and the suffering. The father was seeing the victory that was coming. The father was seeing the triumph over sin and death in the grave that was coming. The, the father was seeing the rescue of you and me that was coming. When the father looked at his child, 
he loved him with a long-term view because he loved us and knew this was the only way to rescue us. I remember when, uh, when our oldest son was born. If you don't know, Heidi and I, my wife and I, we have six children and uh, five boys and our little princess. And, and uh, I remember when our oldest son was born, all these profound things happened to, to me when our, our son was born. Because before you have kids, you have mastered parenting. That's the, that's the way that I was. I was like, before kids, I know how you should parent. And oftentimes we would theorize, especially about the discipline portion of parenting. So you'd be at a restaurant and somebody's kid would be acting up and you, would, you had mastered discipline. You'd be like, if that was my kid, what I would do is I would spank them. If that was my kid, I would smack them with a breadstick. If that was my kid, right, that's, that's what I would do. So before you have kids, you've mastered that part. And Heidi and I read all the books, What to Expect When You're Expecting, which is, is none of us true, right? And, and, and uh, what parent raising kids God's way, that didn't work. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? You just read all this stuff. None of it plays out in reality. So here, here, here it's all there. So I mastered that. Something that caught me off guard with parenting, and, and I'm serious about this, I never, ever even thought about it. I thought about what we're going to do and how we're going to educate. They're going to listen to Beethoven, right, and all that kind of stuff. And your first kid, they're on classical music. Heidi and I made our own baby food for him. He, ha- he started taking math lessons like in the womb, like all that kind of stuff. By kid number six, you're like, hey, I think some food fell on the floor. Eat it, right? So it's just, it just changes, right? One of the things I had never thought about in parenting, ready? And every parent will relate to this. It never crossed my mind, ready? How difficult it would be to watch your kids go through pain. Never even thought about it. I thought about how appropriate it would be to put my kids in pain. But I, it never crossed my mind that one of the most difficult things I would do as a, as a parent, one of the most difficult things Heidi would do as a mom is watch our kids hurt. And what you, the, the, what you have to do to not make that go away, how hard it is not to call the coach and say, you should put my kid in, and he's not playing enough, he's better than that other kid how difficult it is not to call and say, how how dare you not pick my daughter for the cheerleading squad? She's happier. It's all political. This school system's all political. (laughs) Right? How hard it is to, to watch the breakup. How hard it is to watch the disappointment. How hard it is not to give your kids what they want. See? I, I'll be honest, I did not anticipate that that it's actually harder to say no, harder to watch them hurt than maybe anything else because you love them so deeply and so profoundly. And so when I look at the cross, one of the perspectives I have is the Father. That he, he's, he has to let his son do this. And I think about the, the love of the Father, that he would restrain himself as his only child, and you know how they are, goes through this pain. Mom, when I think about mothering, one of the most difficult things that a mother has to do 
is she has to let her children be shaped and molded and formed. One of the most difficult things is to let them fail, to let them have a disappointment, to, to let them go through a pain, to let them not make the team, to let them not get the date to prom, to let them not get into the college that they wanted to. It's one of the most difficult things. But listen, one of the ways that God teaches your children about himself through you is when you have a long-term view of love. Because when you read the Bible, it's fascinating what God says, James chapter one, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, God says this. He says, count it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. In other words, pain is a gift. Count it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you are mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's the antithesis of the helicopter parent where we back off and say, you know what? My kid failing is a gift. Me not intervening is love. Them learning on their own is something good for them. And when I look back 30 years on parenting, and I look when I was looking at my mom and dad, I said, you won't believe it, I didn't make the team. Well, honey, maybe if you work harder next time. Thanks for that hit to my self-esteem. Why won't you buy me a car? You can afford to buy me a car. Well, you're going to have to drive the station wagon. You have to work more and more, and maybe you can earn one. Why won't you pay my way through college? Well, because, you, you know, you're going to appreciate it more. And all these parenting things that they said to me, and I realize now how hard it was not to just do it and how valuable it is that they didn't. Now, ready, Mom? It's a huge part of how I understand God. Because God does not say yes all the time. God says no. But he loves me. The, the biggest false teaching in North America right now is that if God loves you enough and you love him enough, he gives you what you want. That's garbage. God loves me, but he doesn't make my pain go away. God loves me, but not everything worked out well in my life. God loves me, but he said no that doesn't make sense. Ready? It really makes more sense when your mom was that way. Because she saw it long term. She knew that you needed to be formed. She knew that you needed to be mature. She knew that this was the path. And I look back on her nose and I receive them with gratitude now. Thank God that she taught me this. Thank God that she made me work. Thank God that she didn't go yell at the math teacher. She made me learn math instead. See? Because I realize those are, the, those are the foundational points of the most valuable pieces of adulthood that I have. See? She taught me about God. This is how God interacts with me. It's how mom interacts with me. See how that works? It's not this other big thing that you add to your life. It's just Christ-likeness. And looking and saying, yeah, this is, this is what God is like. I'm gonna love everyone, right? Like I said, if you're a dad, if you're a kid, if you're in college, it's all the same principle. We're just using mom illustrations. But God loves us like this, and my mom loved me like this. And God 
expresses his heart and his mind through you to your kids when you love in a long-term view, okay? Now, here's the last thing. As I was looking at this, I realized, moms, that all of this, all of this love, all of this investment, it's always gonna come with delayed appreciation. Even look at what God says here about Jesus. So Jesus humbles himself like he's a, he's a servant, all that. Verse nine, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus is doing all this perfectly. He's hitting grand slams, right? And when he's doing that, and thank God that he did, there's no appreciation. That when Jesus is suffering and being beaten and going to the cross, nobody's cheering for him. They're cheering against him. But nobody's like, "Woo! thank God our salvation is. Even now, that billions of people know the name of Jesus, but we don't appreciate him fully. This exaltation, the exaltation has happened, but it's not going to be fully recognized until the Lord comes back and we're all in heaven. It's in heaven, it's in eternity, at the judgments and, and at the reception into heaven. It's then that every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a delayed appreciation. And if there is ever an earthly example of that, it, it's motherhood, right? It's a delayed appreciation. It's, it's later on, right? They appreciate it. And moms, this is, this is your life, right? When they're babies, they don't even know what you're doing for them. They're just hungry or stinky, right? And, and they're that way. And then they get four, five, six years old, and they love you, and they'll cuddle with you, and then they'll also projectile vomit in the SUV, and there's a, there's, nobody appreciates the fact that you're vacuuming that out, and then you always kind of have that little smell, and it's hard to get a good price on the trade-in, right, because it just is kind of there with you always, and then they become teenagers, and they just cannot believe how uneducated and ill-prepared you are to raise them, right? And they don't really want to be around and this and that. And then something amazing happens. As your kids get older, what happens is they enter the phase of life that they entered your life. They become parents. Something amazing happens. They start to appreciate. I remember when our oldest was born I remember leaving the hospital with him, you know, first kid, leaving the hospital. I remember leaving the hospital and thinking, so we just leave? I mean, that's like, that's it, <laughs> right? We're just supposed to know what to do, right? And I remember thinking there's no permitting process, there's no license that you get. You just now have a human being that you're responsible for, right? And so we took, we took him home, and uh, of course, we're having a blast, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And my mom came, and she stayed the first few nights with Heidi and I. So the middle of the night, our son wakes up, he's screaming, he wants to eat. By the way, that happens again when they're teenagers. And so they're, they're screaming, he wants to eat. So I get him, and Heidi feeds him, and, and we're there, and change his diaper, and we, like, put him back into the crib, and we're just sitting there looking at him, you know, seeing what's happening. And he kind of settled down, but what he was breathing, and, like, his nose was popping a little bit. And we're like, what? 
what's wrong with him? I looked at Isaac, what's wrong with him? She's like, I don't know what's wrong with him. I'm like, what do you mean you're wrong? You're the mother. You're supposed to know these things. It's an instinct. And I don't know. I was like, well, maybe our baby's broken. And should we take, should we call 911? Should we, can you get a refund on these things? I mean, how does, how does that mean? We were just standing there and we didn't, we didn't know whether to go back to bed, let him lay there. We didn't know what to do, right? So Heidi goes, ready? She goes, go get your mom. So I go down, I'm like, mom, <laughs> right? <laughs> she came upstairs, and she's standing there, and we're all standing there at the crib, and we're like, is he supposed to be doing that? And she's like, honey, he's, he's fine, sweetie. He got a little bit of mucus in his nose from the birth, and we got like that super sucker blue thing, you know, sucked his brains out a little bit, and clearly I'm like, oh, now he's breathing good. She's like, yeah, that, that's what babies do. It's not, he's okay. And for maybe the first time in my life, I thought, oh, mom did this, right? Mom sit and didn't know what to do with the first baby and my brother, and, and he's all messed up, right? And so, <laughs> right? Mom worried, and mom was up all night. Mom worked all day and then came home and never rested. Mom, when, mom, when I was a teenager, it, mom, now I understand that it's more scary to have a teenager than it is to have an infant, and mom worried, and suddenly there's an appreciation because I'm walking in her shoes, right? It comes around, it's just delayed. Now, here's the truth. The truth is this, moms. Sometimes only you and Jesus know. That's just the way it works. Sometimes only you and Jesus know. In fact, that's true for all of us when we're loving people and giving ourselves to them. Sometimes only you and Jesus know, right? But listen, moms, listen, look at me. I want you to catch this, ready? But he knows. He knows. And he loves you, and he's proud of you, and he remembers, and he's recording, and when we love and serve the Lord, the Bible says that we create reward in heaven, and one of the big contexts of loving and serving the Lord is raising your kids, and God knows. He knows the sacrifice. He knows the surrendered strength, see? He knows the authority with humility. He knows it's not lost. It's not forgotten, and it, it, it boomerangs back with your kids some but it's captured by God, and you're pleasing God, and God knows, and he is proud of you. God looked and said, there is one person that can do this in your life. There's one person who's going to love, no one is going to love your kids the way you love your kids. Nobody. Nobody, is, and it, whether they're biological kids, adopted kids, or your stepmom, you stepped in, God brought you to that kid because they needed you, and nobody loves them like that. Nobody knows them the way that you know them. Nobody is capable of doing what you're doing. And any of us who have <clears throat> lost our moms, see, that never goes away. Nobody else can step into that place. God gave you, and he sees, and he knows, and he understands, and you have this opportunity, and you have this ability to download his heart and his mind literally like nobody else on the planet can. And I know it's overwhelming, and I know we're exhausted, and I, I know all that stuff, 
But man, if you weren't there, what's missing, right? And when you engage, when you love what gets plugged in, it is profound. It is profound. And this is what I've observed over the years. <clears throat> I've observed this. When a mom loves Jesus and loves her kids, that simple. When she loves Jesus, she loves her kids. When a kid feels loved, what happens is all of his parents, her parents' shortcomings, mom and dad, but mom especially, all of their mom's shortcomings are, are, are things they laugh about. They're not wounds that they hold, right? So we laugh about, my siblings and I and Heidi and I, we, we laugh about our mom, like her, her weaknesses. Like when mom blows up and she's like, you, if you two can't get along, you're buckled together in the back seat for the next 200 miles, right? Which works, by the way, I did that, it, 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 right? So we'll laugh, but we don't feel scarred we don't feel abandoned. We don't feel like, my, remember that time that mom wounded me? Because she loved us, we laugh about it. When mom is yelling at me and my sister and she's mad because of our grades and because we're fighting and she turned real quick to yell at us and her false teeth came out, happened. <laughs> True story, it's hilarious. Like we, we don't feel, we're like, remember when mom yelled? We're like, remember when mom's teeth fell out? This is what, when you love Christ, you love your kids, all of your shortcomings become comical. We tease we laugh, they're a part of the family folklore, right? That's all. That's how God downloads his heart and his mind to the children through you. Now, all you gotta do is flip the coin. And if, if mom used her authority for selfish reasons, if mom used her strength to, to lead, if mom, then those same things, it's hilarious, the exact same things become wounds. It's fascinating how it works. So mom, this isn't overwhelming. I don't want it to be that way. I actually want to encourage you with it. It's important. It's a vision. It's what you got to grab hold of because it is the call of motherhood. But it's as simple as I love Christ and I follow Jesus. I seek him first and then all these things are added, right? I love Jesus. I love my kids. And that will cause that communication to happen. And your kids will understand Christ because they felt loved by you as you followed him, right? Now, all right, this is what we wanna do. Let me say these two things to you uh, as we kind of close up here. Number one is this. If you have a painful relationship with your mom, right, and I know that many of us do, then I would, I would give you two big kind of generalized pieces of counsel, right? Number one is do what you can do to make it healthy, right? So if you have to break the ice, if you have to forgive, do what you can do to make it healthy. Now, the Bible says this. The Bible says, as much as it's up to you, live at peace with all men. I know that sometimes it's not up to you. So if you can do something, do it. If you can't, if you're like, Jeff, you just don't, I don't even know where she's at, you just don't know, I got it. Now, this is what I would imagine. I would imagine if you have a painful relationship with your mom, you would look and say, I still want to be a great mom, but I don't know what to do. I would say this to you, moms, find a hero. Find a hero. 
Find, find an older woman whose kids follow Christ and love her and start picking her brain. And, and the Bible, this is a Titus 3 woman, it's what the Bible talks about, the older women teaching the younger women. You find that, she'll take the time, she'll help you with it. And just ask her, what did you do? How did you do it? And, and be the cycle breaker. But find a hero to help you that you can mimic and model yourself after, okay? Second thing. If you have a loving relationship with your mom, tell her. Don't, don't think appreciative thoughts. Think them and then turn them into words. Write a card. Say, I love you. Do a pantomime. I don't care what you do, but like get it out because she needs to know, right? Because there's a lot of sacrifice involved and a lot of love. So tell her, appreciate her, okay? So if it's painful, find a hero. If it's powerful and loving, let her know and wish her, wish her happy Mother's Day, right? But actually express your heart and your mind to her, okay? All right, this is what we're gonna do. We, we put together two songs here for, for you moms. This is part of your Mother's Day celebration, all right? So this, these are for you. Uh, the first song is, is a, a, a prayer, so as you think about, hey, I, I want to be used by God to download God's heart and mind of my kids, you can hear the words of this song, you can kind of pray it, sing it if you know it, but it, it's meant to be a prayer, like a, a challenge or an inspiration for you. The second song is a promise, and it, it's to remind you in the difficult times of parenting, hardest job on the planet, right, difficult times of, of, of parenting, it's a promise to remind you that God loves you, God sees, God knows, and he's proud of you, okay? So I'm gonna pray, and the band will come out, and then we'll, we'll hear these two songs. One's a prayer, one's a promise, and uh, it's part of us celebrating you on Mother's Day here, okay? Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us, and thanks for our mothers, Lord. And we, we wanna stop and just take the time and say, that we're proud of them, we love them, and we're grateful for them and celebrate them in a special way this weekend. So God, thank you for that. I pray for each and every mom, Lord, that you would give her strength, give her courage, give her discernment, give her heavenly wisdom, help her not to grow weary in well-doing, God, but to, to kind of see this journey through all the way and just encourage them and help them in every way. God, for those of us who uh, don't have a healthy relationship with our moms, who've lost our moms, who want to be a mom and are struggling with not being able to, Lord, the same, same thing. We ask for comfort and help and, uh, and just your presence through that journey as well. So we celebrate moms today, God. And uh, Lord, I pray that in these moments, you will minister to their hearts and encourage them in a unique and powerful way. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.